Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. Well, good afternoon. How's everybody? Oh, good. I get responses back. Nobody's falling asleep after eating. That's a good start. All right. I need to know a little bit about the crowd that I'm talking to. So how many people are in here from public service? Good. Okay. Private service. The rest of you are in local business. Do I have any attorneys in the room? No, I'm serious. We're going to start to talk some legal things. I just want to know who I'm going to be sparring with. All right. Good. How about folks at the company that deal with legal issues? No? All right. How many of you get along with your local fire inspector? Oh, good. Oh, that's a good start. Yay. Okay. <laughs> so we're not going to see things thrown this way. That's a good start. All right. Good. So currently in Ohio, what is in effect is the 2017 Ohio Fire Code and the 2017 Ohio Building Code. That changes about every three to four years. It's supposed to be on a three-year cycle. Um, sometimes it takes the state a little bit longer to get their ducks in a row. This code is derived from the international code. So we have the ICC codes. I'm sure many of you are familiar with those if you're doing anything at your business. And we have to deal with architects from out of state that forget that Ohio has their own code. We do what we call Ohioize a lot of things. What we do is we tighten the code up in Ohio in certain areas where we know that we've had issues that are more prominent or we've had safety concerns. It's based on past experience. And unfortunately, as the saying goes, the Ohio Fire Code's written in blood because it's not changed until it's reactionary. Very few times are we ahead of the curve. It's usually after someone has died or some tragedy has occurred that we make a change to that code. Does anybody know if we have a conflict between the two, which one prevails? Have you ever worked on a project at your facility? Uh, not the fire code, believe it or not. The building code prevails. So they're pretty close together. They're married together pretty closely. There's very few things that are different. In fact, this 2017 cycle is the first cycle where we've had some more items that are a little more strict in the fire code that take it out of the building official's hand. But if during the construction of a building there's a conflict between the two, the building code prevails, and it's usually a more strict interpretation, so it's not going to be something that's worse for us. Um, the big thing, and my concern always is, is we're worried about the people that are in that building. And then we're worried about your business surviving. And then... For me, I'm worried about sending those firefighters in that building. Is it safe? What's going to happen to them if we have that fire situation in that building or we have that confined space entry in your facility, depending on what you do? I'm always thinking that in my, the back of my mind, and some people think, oh, my gosh, this fire inspector just won't let me go. He just keeps harping on this. Well, it's because we want you to be safe in your facility. And the folks at Kennel Astomers know that. We were, I was just at their facility yesterday, and we were doing fire extinguisher training, and you'll get to see some pictures of that in a little bit, but they work with us really well in Kent. So we'll move on from that. Do any of you have any big projects going on at your facilities right now where you're going through construction? Raise your hands. Good. Okay. Did you meet with the fire department or the building official before you started your project, the gentleman there in the back? Did you have a pre-construction meeting or anything before you started? Okay. Was that by choice or just didn't happen? Okay. So here's what I would encourage you to do, and we do this in Kent. We'll sit down with the person that's leading the project. Could be the owner, could be the architect or some of the engineers. We all sit down and we talk ahead of time, what are expectations? What are you guys trying to accomplish? Because we want to work with you on this project and not against you. So we try and walk them through the code. We walk them through the things that we can get concerned about. You know, how do you approach the building? Did you put fire lanes in? Do you have 
the turning radius is available so that our apparatus can actually pull into your facility and work. Most people don't think about that. They think, oh, well, my car fits in the lot. That's good. Well, I need a 20-foot span to set up a ladder truck. I need to be able to get to the fire department connection. I can't have delivery trucks parked in front of it when I need it. So those are the things we're trying to think of and help them in that planning before they are paying an engineer and an architect to put things on paper. We walk through things with them so that they don't spend that extra money. So I'd encourage you to reach out to the fire department, reach out to your building official if you're gonna make those changes so that you guys can talk ahead of time. We'll just say, for example, you all work in the city of Kent for right now for the sake of discussion. If I were to show up at your door during business hours and uh, I wanted to come in and do an inspection, can you turn me away? Don't be shy, answer. Yes, no. Yes, you can turn me away. No, oh, no, that's fine. Let's we'll we'll talk. So they're saying some are saying yes, some are saying no. So I the right answer is up here already. So you do have the right to turn us away, but we have the right to come back. Now, we're allowed to enter any building, structure, vessel, I think it's written, and any vehicle during normal business hours. And they add vehicle because we have food service trucks and different things like that now that fall uh, into the course of our inspection. Uh, do we want to come in and strong arm in your facility? Absolutely not. That's not the way to start things out. Have I had to get warrants before? Yes. I had a restaurant. It's torn down now. Um, <laughs> we didn't start that way, but it, it, it went that direction. An attorney owned the restaurant, and uh, he... It's okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> he was not happy about having us go into his bar. And uh, we knew there were some violations there, and we were worried about college kids going in. You know, we've got Kent State University in our backyard, and they frequent those bars, whether they're legal or not. But And he didn't want to let us in. And we said, well, you know, manager comes to the door and says, you guys aren't allowed in. I said, well, I'm allowed in during normal business hours. We'd like to work with you. He says, no, my, own, my boss says you're not. I said, okay. March back, talk to the law department. Hey, here's what's going on. All right, we'll get you a warrant. So we end up getting the warrant, show up at the door. Hey, I got this piece of paper. They said, oh, he said you were going to do that. I said, okay. So, you know, then I'm, you know, not exactly happy because I had to go through all these extra steps. So I'm going to be looking at everything instead of just being friendly and going through. So we end up finding a bunch of things and we got into a battle and he had some pretty serious violations, some fire separation issues. And we ended up in court. I had to raise my right hand and testify. The building official had to stand next to me and testify. And uh, he was playing a game, but you know, we got in, cited things. It was for public safety. It wasn't because I enjoyed doing that. I hated being in that spot. I don't like being in court. I'd much rather sit down with someone and work things out and give you an opportunity to make corrections. When I start to issue fines, that's money that you don't spend on fixing your building. I'd rather see you fix the building. So the true answer here is yes, we can come in. Yes, you can deny entry if you so choose, but we're going to come back. You know, we're not there to be at pain. We want to make sure people are safe. You know, I'm, my first concern is the occupants in the building. When we get there, my first question when you jump off the engine is, is everybody out of the building? Yes or no? That's what I want to know. And they say, no, somebody's still inside. We're going into search mode. Then I worry about the fire. Then I worry about the other things. It's the people that are the most important. So that's, that's why we want to do those things. You know, it does say that we have to show credentials. Usually I walk in like this, so it's not hard to understand where I came from and who I work for. You know, I'm not coming in in plain clothes, being a detective or anything. You know, if we have an unoccupied structure, we do have to make a reasonable effort to contact the owner that's listed. We'll go to the Portage County website and look up the owner and try and get a hold of them. 
We've had a couple structures out in Franklin Township. We also cover that area that were unoccupied and they were a safety hazard. So we had to try and contact them. We had to mark them condemned structures and work with the building official to do that because I have to worry about firemen going in those buildings. I want them to go back to their families at night too. So that's kind of what that refers to. And it says at the bottom, we'll get a warrant and come back. It's not the right way to go. And usually I have a police officer standing next to me when it comes to that, because if threats have been made, I'm going to be protected. So I get the guy with the gun standing next to me in the other uniform and, you know, we go do our thing. So the inspection authority, it tracks in the code. So I wanted to connect the dots for you guys a little bit. And it refers back to that first code, the 104.3, which I'm not going to cite code to you guys, but we are allowed to enter and examine. And again, it's always, we're trying to have a friendly relationship with our businesses and we want to do that. Do I get into every business in Kent every year? Absolutely not. Can't physically happen. There's too many businesses. There's two of us in the Prevention Bureau. So we prioritize. We try and hit our high occupancy use spaces first. So we catch all the bars and restaurants downtown, the apartment complexes where we have large common areas. We don't go into individual apartments. That's just like your home. So we don't go into those areas. But the common areas at those facilities, and like the theater in downtown Kent, we go in there. You know, those are high occupancy uses where we have a lot of folks like we do in this room today. So plan your exit. Think about your strategy. Just like I tell the folks when we do safety talks at our businesses, no two ways out. Everybody's going there. I want you, when you sit down in a room, when you go somewhere, look at the other ways out of that room because you're going to be better off. Even if we had an active shooter scenario, they're most likely know that you're all going back for that door. Think of another way out. Know those things. That's what I tell the kids when we talk to them at Kent State Campus. They love to go. How many have ever been to Ray's Place in downtown Kent? Cool. All right, good. How many of you have been upstairs? Good. Now, who can tell me where the second way is out upstairs at Ray's? Oh, no hands. That's not good. Oh, I got a hand in the back. We're through the kitchen. You are absolutely right. You get a star. Good job. So as you come up the stairs to raise the bars to your left, you got the couple steps down. You got the lower area to the right. Straight ahead, there's another exit. It goes down the steps and through the kitchen and out the back. If that building were built today, that wouldn't be allowed. But because it's older, it's grandfathered, it's allowed to, to be that way. But that's the second set of stairs, the second way out of the upstairs at raise. Is that building sprinklered? Anybody? It's not. It's not. Good. So keep that in the back of your mind, too. Well, it's a very safe building. He has an alarm system. He has everything that he has to have. I'm just, you know, I always ask people, all right, have you ever thought about the second way out? Most of them are like, no. Think about those things. You know, how many people are going to make it down those front stairs at Ray's? So know the second way out. Think about, your, know your surroundings, know where you're built, know your building, know where you are. Think about those things. That's what could save your life. All right, let's talk about the systems in the building. How many of you have sprinkler systems in your building? Okay, good. How many have a fire alarm system? The same people that raise their hand for sprinklers better raise it now. Okay, <laughs> good. How about fire extinguishers? Y'all have to have those. How, how far apart do those have to be? Anybody know? Every 75 feet, good. Okay, so they got it. They, they were right on. How about the building construction? Does the ceiling tile being out make a difference? Yes, good. All right, I'm getting. What does that do for us? Yep. So, will the smoke detectors work if all the ceiling tiles are out around it? Nope. Because where's the smoke going to go? 
above it. Are the sprinkler heads going to go off if the ceiling tiles are out? Because that heat's going to get above it and it's not going to melt that link. So that's why it's important to have those things in place. Now, if you don't have smoke detectors or sprinkler system, it's even more important to have that envelope intact because we're going to contain the fire in that space. Those little things do matter. Carbon monoxide detection. How many people have that? Good. So what kind of business do you have where you have that? Okay. Did you guys just elect to put that in? Okay. So that's part of your process there. Okay, perfect. Does anybody know what occupancies those have to be in now in the code? So we have to have educational, so all our schools, I uses like daycares, and then R, residential, anything new, apartment buildings, if you have a carbon-producing heating source. So if you have an all-electric building, don't have to have it. But if you have gas, hot water heater, gas heat, you know, then you have to have them in those facilities. So that's something new in this 2017 code that wasn't there before. Um, so know that's coming. And there are some clauses where you're allowed to put in the battery-powered ones if you so choose. I don't recommend that. You have weekly testing requirements on those and different things that um, just become a hassle. It's, it seems like the cheaper way to go in the beginning because you're not tying things into the fire alarm system. But in the long run, I think you're spending more money dealing with uh, the batteries and all that. So on the sprinkler system, if I come into the, your building that, where you have that, what are we looking for? How often does that have to be tested? Yearly. Good. How often do you have to do a flow on it? Well, you have a five-year internal inspection that's out of NFPA 25, so you have to open up valves, look inside. You have to change your gauges or have them calibrated. Most of the time now, I think it's cheaper for people to change the gauges out than it is to pay for calibration. Why is it important to do those things? So they work, exactly. If we just leave that standing water in that system and don't do a flow, what's going to happen to all that stuff on the inside? It's going to corrode. Have you ever seen the water that comes out of a sprinkler system on the flush? It is nasty. Yes, sir. One thing we learned the hard way with the sprinkler system is be very aware if you have people um, painting. Oh, yeah. Are properly covered or yes. So what he's referring to, and this just happened at um, a new restaurant that's coming into downtown Kent. Um, it's on Water Street. Well, we'll leave the name out. So they came in and they thought they'd save some money and paint themselves and has a beautiful sprinkler system in the building. It's just down the road from Panini's. And uh, <laughs> so we look up at the ceiling. I'm like, man, I can't see the shiny sprinkler heads. I get my flashlight out of my pocket. I'm like, I still can't see them. What? Did you guys paint this? Oh, yeah, we painted it. He said, what would you do with the sprinkler heads? He goes, what are you talking about? I said, okay. <laughs> so... I started following pipes on the ceiling. I'm like, all right, there's supposed to be one. There's supposed to be one. Right, there's supposed to be six sprinkler heads out in this space. I can't see any of them. So did you guys paint those? Ah, we must have. All right, we're going to have to get all the licensed sprinkler contract, and we're going to have to change those out. Why is that? Well, paint acts as an insulator. It's not going to let that head work. And I said, you just you know, ruined that sprinkler head. So now he's got to shut the water down that building, change out those heads. Now then he can open up. And he wanted to open last week, but so he's going to be delayed a little bit. <laughs> but we're working with him. We're working with him on it. Um, so when you do have painters come in, they're usually very conscientious. They're good, but some for some reason that foil or paper always comes off the sprinkler head, and we get one or two that are, always get sprayed. And it is a big deal to have paint 
There's testing that's out there. You can watch the videos. It increases the time on that head going off immensely because the paint does act, act as an insulator. So that does matter. Those are things we do look for. And it's not because we want to harass you. It's because we want that to work for you. If that life safety system is there, we want it to operate like it's supposed to for you, for your insurance company. Because if your insurance company finds out you've tampered with that system and you knew there was a deficiency, they don't have to pay. And they're not a lot anymore. They can say, you knew about that deficiency, you did nothing about it, and now we don't have to pay because that system could have saved money, and it didn't. We've seen a lot of claims denied because of things like that. Now, what about the fire alarm system? How many of you have smoke detectors in your facility? Have you ever had a sensitivity test done on those? Does anybody know what that is? Burning a bagel doesn't count. Yeah, mine gets tested at home the same way. How, how long are uh, smoke detectors good for? 10 years, exactly. Now, in a commercial system, um, you're allowed to keep them longer than that as long as you're doing the sensitivity testing. It's every other year unless you prove that I haven't had any deficiencies and I've passed my test and it gets to get extended by a year in the code. So there's some studies that are out that show that over 50% of the smoke detectors that are out there don't function properly. And it's because people aren't doing the sensitivity testing. So you need to look at your report. If you're paying a company to come out there and test your system, then you need to ask them, hey, have you guys done the sensitivity testing that's required on this? In a couple of the frat houses here in town, we started really pushing that issue because we know the kids party, they destroy things. And we went into a house and you wouldn't believe what's splattered on some of the life safety stuff in there. But we started checking heads and they weren't working, period. And we said, all right, I want sensitivity testing and starting, we're going down the line. We're just gonna hit every house and we're gonna ask them to do it. And a couple of these were security slash fire systems and the security companies were like, well, we've never done that. You have a fire license, right? Oh yeah, we have a fire license. Where's your testing equipment? Well, we don't do that. You need to get somebody that does, and you need to bring them in here, and we're going to test these. We found over half the heads in one house that weren't even working. So those kids, you know, we want them to have fun. I went to college, had fun too. Um, I made it out. Somebody was watching over me. But, you know, we're trying to protect those kids in those homes. It's off-campus housing, so they have less safety features in place than we do in the buildings on campus. So those things are very important. In your own home, please have working smoke detectors. Please have a carbon monoxide detector. It could save your life. So little things. If that noisemaker goes off, listen to it. You know, we know they go off from cooking. Move them away from the kitchens. Keep them away from things like that. Get them by your bedrooms. That's where it's going to make a difference. If you can, sleep with the bedroom door closed. I post pictures on Facebook all the time. Fire's good on hallways. Bedroom door's closed. That bedroom's perfectly intact. That hallway is burnt to a crisp. That's a matter of minutes. We're living in structures now. They're all synthetic. You think about your furniture, microfiber couches. They're filled with foam. You know, we used to have natural fiber things, everything, your carpet that we're standing on here, that's all, it's made from oil. It burns, it puts out thick black smoke, and it makes that fire travel across that space so quickly. So keep that in mind. I want you to be safe at home. Just have those devices in place to help you. Any questions so far? Did I miss anything on, you guys gone through anything on smoke detectors or your fire alarms at your buildings that you want to bring up? I'm happy to talk about it. All right, perfect. 
this is one of those fun. I like the great graphic that, you know, please don't block the fire extinguisher. And they said everything, and this company even makes signs, so they have beautiful <laughs> signs around their business. But, you know, please, you know, that's something that it's, it's a changing culture sometimes. People get used to doing things, and it, it takes time. And I understand that it's, you know, I don't want to come, I don't come in and slam down my fist on the table like, hey, this has got to change right now. Okay, you guys need to sit down with your staff. We need to find a better way to handle this area so they can still function and do their job because that's important. They're there to make money. You're there to make money your business. But how can we make things better? Where can we move this to make it so that we're not interrupting your operation, but they still have access to a fire extinguisher? First line of defense at your business. You can get most incipient stage fires with a fire extinguisher and put it out before the sprinkler system goes off. And if you don't have a sprinkler system, that's the first thing you have that you can do to help contain things. And make sure you're still calling 911 when you're deploying that. You know, at Ken Elastomers, I'll pick on them a little bit. Part of their process of when they're making their latex tubing, their machinery sometimes it has little fires on it. Their folks are so good. They grab the extinguisher, they put that fire out, they know how to deal with it. Then they call us after the fact. As soon as they're done, they say, you know, we had a fire. Please come in here and just verify and check things. But most of the time, they're back to work already. They took care of that problem. We train with them every year. We do fire extinguisher training, and it makes a difference. They're using CO2 extinguishers so that we're just putting out a gas. We're not getting that powder everywhere, but it works, and that's their first line of defense. They also have a fully suppressed building and a fully alarmed building. And, you know, if it ever gets past the fire extinguisher and it gets up to the sprinkler head, it's going to take care of it for them. But that's their first line of defense, and think of it that way. Train your employees. Reach out to your fire department. We do training in Kent. We go to a lot of businesses on a regular basis and do fire extinguisher training with them to help. Um, you know, you should reach out to your local fire departments and do the same thing. They'll help you. I, we don't want to see that ugly thing. That's terrible to have that there. I mean, only in an emergency will it matter. Um, so why is this wrong? It's underneath, extension cord, I don't know. Chapter 6 in the fire code. You know, there's a whole chapter dedicated to electrical issues in the fire code because that's the number one cause of fires, electrical issues. You know, you probably hear that a lot in the news, always electrical in nature. We just don't throw that out there. Or we might say it's still under investigation. We look into what caused the fire. I went to a house fire in Kent over on the um, south side and a window unit air conditioner plugged into a power strip. Power strip was melted, caught the curtains on fire, lit the living room off. I said, I don't understand how it caught on fire. It was in a power strip. It should have tripped. Well, power strips are intended to have the amperage of an air conditioner running through them. It fused the breaker and melted it, and it kept, kept going. They're meant to have low wattage devices, low amperage devices plugged into them. So power strips are good in your business for things around your desk, your computer, little fan, Low voltage things, okay? You can plug in your cell phone charger in there. Appliances have to go directly to the wall outlet. That's because appliances are intended to go to a 20 amp circuit, all right? So if we're talking, even if you have a micro fridge stored somewhere or a microwave that you keep by your ear, I know that school teachers, do I have anybody from the schools here? My wife's a school teacher. I confess that right now. You know, I walk into her room. She's like, well, the other guys came in here and they didn't really say anything. And I said, well... Since you're married to me, we're not, you're not going to do that. She's changed a few things in her room, and she goes, well, I had it into a power strip. I said, no, the refrigerator has to go into the wall outlet. Let's move your desk to another spot. That's meant on purpose, okay? 
And please don't buy those air freshener things that plug in. Those things, I've gone, I don't know how many of those I found melted. They don't know the difference between whether that liquid canister is full or not. It just keeps going, the little heater in there. I found those things hot to the touch and melting down because if they're in the schools, the teachers plug them in. I know why, especially in the grade school level, some of those kids stink. <laughs> All right. So they come in, they plug them in, they forget about it. It smells better in the room. And then they go away for winter break or they go away for spring break and that thing's still going while well, it doesn't have any more liquid in it and it's melting down. Um, so keep that in mind even for your own home. I don't encourage those. And I don't encourage candles either. Get a wax warmer plug it in, do that sort of thing. It's much safer. So chapter six of the fire code, we talk about electrical stuff. You're allowed to use extension cords for temporary use. They're not allowed to be woven through the ceiling, down the wall. I just saw this morning, uh, they built a wire mold for the extension cord to plug it in and run it underneath the platform and then out to somewhere. We had to cut the end off the cord to get it out because they built the platform. We couldn't pull it back through, but um, so please don't do that. As you roll your chair over top of that, you're going to abrade that wire and we're going to have a fire. So use a power strip, run it the right way. Don't run underneath things if you have to have it. And we can't plug extension cords into power strips to get farther along the room. Remember that whole amperage thing. We're going to plug a couple lamps into that power strip. Great. Not a problem. We can do that. But please don't have a microwave plugged in down to the extension cord at the other end. I was inspecting once, had the state fire marshal with me, the rep for our area. We went into an area, we had an electrical engineer there. Had, was very creative in how things were plugged in. And uh, I had the fire marshal there on purpose because we were having some issues. I needed somebody that wasn't connected politically to the area so that, you know, I didn't have to deal with some of those internal things. And we got down to that room and she walked in and looked around the corner and she said, oh, Hell no. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I looked at like, oh boy. <laughs> Electrical engineer comes over. Well, what's wrong? Well, the microwave and the refrigerator and the air conditioner are not allowed to be plugged into that. Well, I'm an electrical engineer. I, I checked the amperage. It can handle that. No. No, sir, it can't. And then he proceeds to inform the state fire marshal. Well, I'm an electrical engineer. I have a degree in this and I've studied that. Then she looks right at him and says, well, then you should know better. Then it was off to the races and they were bailing out. And I said, let's just take a step back. And those two cooled off. And he agreed that he was his boss then came in at that point And they had an understanding and the stuff was removed. And uh, the fire marshal still wrote it up and went from there. But it is serious. It does matter. It is the leading cause of fires, electrical in nature, because most people don't understand. Um, you know, open electrical boxes like this. Don't seem like much, but they are. We get a surge in that circuit or somebody's working in that area and all of a sudden one of those wire nuts is off. They brush into that. I don't know what the voltage is on that, you know. Most likely that's a 110 volt circuit. Could be 220. Just all depends. I don't want to be the guy that bumps into that and finds out I already lost my hair. So <laughs> heating appliances need to breathe just like you need space to breathe. They generate heat in the wintertime. If we have all those combustibles packed up against there, we're going to have a fire. We're also going to shorten the life of that device because it can't breathe and get rid of the heat that it needs to dissipate. So we need three feet of clearance around those gas-fired appliances. How many feet of clearance do we need around electrical panels? Good. All right. Yay. 
Why? Who knows why that's three feet there? Arc Flash. Excellent. You get a start too. All right. You guys wanted some Kent State stories. This was at a local university. <laughs> I get along great with Kent State. There's a fire prevention guy up there. We talk almost daily. Where I'm up there, I was just there this morning doing alarm testing. He did not know this was going on. So I'm there with the state fire marshal. We're doing testing inside. This is um, a building where the ROTC is moving into. In fact, they were in there. We're inside checking alarm devices, making sure they're working. We're checking pulse stations, doing all the stuff we're supposed to do, smoking the heads in the room, making sure they report back to the panel correctly. We get done. I go to walk out that door. I hit the door and it opens up a couple inches and stops. I'm like, what the heck's going on? So I look around the aluminum, look out the glass. I'm like, what the heck is that on there? So the fire marshal's with me. We walk down the hallway, out another door, come to the front. She's like, oh my gosh. I said, yeah, it's an occupied building, by the way. People are, people are in this building. So I call fire prevention guy that I know up there because he had just left to go to another building. I said, hey, you need to come back to uh, this building and I, I need to talk to the general contractor. He goes, well, you were talking to him. I said, Real? oh, that guy. I said, okay. I said, I need him out in front like right now. He goes, what's going on? I said, there's a door chain shut. He goes, there's what? I said, I know you didn't know about it. I said, we're going to have a quick discussion right now. So the guy says, get the general out there. He's like, well, my electronic latches aren't in yet. I said, really? I said, this is an occupied building. You have it chained shut. I said, that's not acceptable. He goes, well, but my electronic locks aren't in yet. I said, no, no. I said, this conversation stops right here. I said, that's an occupied building. You will not chain a door shut on this campus ever again. I said, this stops. I said, I don't care if you have to go to the lock shop and get mechanical locks put in this door until you get your electronic latches in. I said, but that's an occupied building. There's people in here. There's an illuminated exit sign right above that door. And I went to go out it. I said it was locked. The chain came off right there. We had an understanding. We're good to go now. But he didn't quite comprehend the fact that you can't chain a door shut while a building's occupied, which just blows my mind away. But that's how people die. So that's, you know, Normally I walk in, we talk, everything's fine, we can work through things. That pushes my buttons right there. When people can't get out of a building, that's, you know, when you look at all these fires that have occurred in any of these nightclubs or any of this, it's all about lack of egress every single time. The Rhode Island fire, do you guys ever remember that? It's been a few years now. The Great White concert. You did. Yeah, every single person there now was very affected in that state. Everybody yep. talks about how they checked Exactly. Yeah. I read the book that the attorney wrote that represented all the folks that were disabled in that. Very sharp guy. I'll tell you what, he did his homework. Was He was really truly looking out for the people because it was mostly a blue-collar community and all the folks that were impacted by that didn't have the money to afford legal representation that they needed. And he did the research and figured out the wall coatings and what caused the fire to spread so quickly. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were two different kinds of foam on that wall. There was a closed cell foam and an open cell foam. And the combination of the two caused that fire to spread. They actually did testing in laboratories and recreated. They found the product and went back to the companies. No. Well, the whole... Unfortunately, the fire inspector in that community gave us all a bad name. He increased the occupancy in that particular bar three different times. 
and took it way over a number that should have been, uh, made things very unsafe. And there's a clause in the code up there that gave him immunity, which I don't know how the man sleeps at night. I wouldn't be able to. Um, it, it's incredible that he's, I don't know how he does it, but that, if you ever get a chance to read that about the Rhode Island Fire, please do. It's a very good book. It will enlighten you a little bit about things and the processes and why things are the way they are. Watch for the glare on the guy there in the back. This is where I want to talk to you guys about what you do at your... Do you guys ever practice evacuations? I know. You better raise your hand, Brad. There you go. All right. <laughs> Good. That is very important. You need to walk through that process. You need to do it. You need to block the primary exit and make people think about going out a different way. Make them change their routine. We are all creatures of habit. We go into work the same way every day. We go in the same door. We walk the same path. We go back out the same way. If that way were blocked, if something was going on, what would you do? Could you go to the second exit? You need to think about it ahead of time. It's not when there's an emergency you need to be thinking about that. I can frazzle most of you in this room by putting a smoke generator in the corner and then blocking a door or starting to ask you three-pointed questions under duress and you'll cave. And it's not because I want to do that. It's because under stress you react differently and most of you aren't wired to deal with that. Some of you are. My wife, the school teacher? No. And that's, she's a school teacher. That's her, her nature is different. She's not trained to do the things I'm trained to do. And that's on purpose. I couldn't deal with fourth graders every day. Okay. She has a talent that I'll never have. And that's a special thing. But if you start to talk to her about active shooter training, and trying to put this stupid little pin in the floor on the extra door locking device that they don't really need. You just give them a little, start yelling at them a little bit while that's happening. That pin's not going in. You lose your fine motor skills under stress. I mean, that even happens to us in the fire service. You get guys under pressure, things change. You get tunnel vision in certain scenarios and you lose fine motor skill unless you have that muscle memory. They're not training every day on how to put the little device, slide it under the door, then put the pin in the floor. After the custodians wax the floor a couple times, that pin's not going to go on the floor anyway. The school locks it's going to work every single time. That's what needs to happen in schools. So that's a whole other topic. But So know your two ways out. Practice your evacuation plan. Think about it at your business. Know what you're going to do ahead of time. Don't wait until the event happens and then go, oh, well, we're, are, do we have a rally point? Where is it? Well, these guys went out this door. How do we know if they're all out? My first question when I jump off the engine, is everybody out of your building? Do you, are you, is everybody accounted for? I hope that's the answer I hear is yes. If not, if I hear no, I want to know where they are in the building. Do you have a map ready, a layout of your building that you can hand me when I get there? Because you're the experts in your building. I'm not. I know some of your buildings a little bit if you're in Kent. I don't know them as well as you do. You're working there every day. So having that rough layout doesn't need to be detailed. Just needs to be a rough layout. Say, hey, room number five is over here. That's where you guys need to go. That's where we saw Joe last. And that's where the explosion was. That's important. Have a little thing that you can hand out. Laminate it so if it's raining outside, we can still read it. Fire extinguisher training. This is fun. They're using the CO2 extinguisher. That was actually, I don't know how. Renee took that. I know you guys know Renee. She couldn't be here today, but um, she was the photographer there. She did a nice job. All right. So practice fire extinguishers with your folks if you can. Talk to your local fire department. They'll do that. If you're in the city of Kent, we do that. That's part of our giving back to the community. We don't charge you for the training. The only thing you have to do is 
get the loaner fire extinguishers, which just cost some money from the company that's doing your service. Sometimes they donate them. Sometimes they you know, give you loaners at a reduced rate, but get them there. Put the extinguisher in people's hands. Let them try it. You know, I, at Kent Elastomer, they are seasoned at using the CO2 extinguishers, and they have some folks that have to deploy them on the machine every once in a while. They said, you know what? I, the first time they experienced that fire, they panicked a little bit. I always talk to them about not squeezing the trigger before you're trying to pull the pin out because you'll squeeze the pin in there and you'll never get it out. And then they realize, he goes, you know what? I remember you said set it down and pull the pin. He got it out. He goes, I panicked for a second. And he trained on it for years and years. That's the thing. You have to go through and they have to experience some of those faults so that they know what to do in an emergency. So I hope all of you have some sort of safety plan on paper. So if you go through the motion, you make it because you have to do it. Your insurance company requires it. Please practice it. It's going to make a difference. Even if it's only once a year, at least walk through the process, evacuating the building, talking about what you would do. Review your plans. Don't just write it, throw it on a shelf, and then forget about it for five years. How much? How many of you have had changes to your building? I know it, I'll pick on Ken Elastomer again because I was just there yesterday. They just put an addition on, and we did a practice with them just last uh, fall, I think it was. We realized that they had changed the layout. We had to re revise some of the plans. They also added a door alarm to a door. Well, that noise was going off along with the fire alarm. It confused people. And that's something you wouldn't know until you walk through the process. They're making plans to change that, but you don't know that until you walk through the process. And sometimes physically walking through that process is when you notice something. You know, you think, oh, on paper, this sounds good. Everybody goes out this door. We meet out here. It all works. You need to see, well, I've got folks in this part of the building that couldn't come through this way, so they walked out another door. Now, accountability. Another business in downtown Kent, all their sales folks decided, well, the fire alarm went off. I'm getting in my car and going to take a break at the coffee shop. We had no accountability. We didn't know they were in the building or whether they came out. So it's important to communicate that ahead of time and let people know that's very important for you. So if you have a fire at your business, what is your plan? If you're not able to operate, do you have another facility that can cover it? I can tell you Land Lakes in Kent does not have another facility that can duplicate some of the products they make. That's why they are so critical on their life safety procedures there. They had a shutdown in 1999, I think it was. We had an ammonia leak there, closed down the entire plant. Now they make products there that can only be made at that plant. So they're very particular. They've added ammonia alarms, made some changes, and we've made a lot of life safety improvements there. But for your facility, what happens to your employees? Will they go to work for the competition? Can the competition make your product? And will they take your point, place in the market? Think about that. You know, we want you to stay a viable business. That's why we come in and do safety inspections. When I say we, different fire departments, because we want your business to be successful. We want your employees to be safe. When you are making money in your local community, you're paying the taxes that support our paychecks. I want to stay employed in Kent. So I always encourage our businesses to be safe and stay open because I want to be employed. So it's a, it's a big circle that we're all connected in. We want you to do well because that su supports the local economy, keeps everything going. So think about what would happen to your business if you had a fire. How would you react? Quick facts about fire. I'm not going to read them to you, but we're over 1,000 degrees at the ceiling in a fire in a matter of minutes. We're 600 degrees at eye level. So we encourage kids to crawl low and go. We want you to do the same thing, stay out of that smoke. It's safe down there. The firemen, when we come in a building, we're not walking up high, we're crawling down low too. You know, 
you get burn marks on my helmet if you got to stand up and do something. I'm down low on the floor for a reason. I can see more across the floor. I can see what's going on, and I can get somewhere without ruining my gear. It can be more effective. Fire spreads very fast now with all the um, synthetics that we have. Hollywood, as usual. So let me ask you this. If we have sprinkler heads throughout this room, are they all going to go off in a fire? No. Only the one right underneath where the heat source is. It's going to melt that link. You might get another adjacent head that goes off if the heat spreads over. You know, a lot of them, they show all the sprinkler heads go off at once. And people are against sprinkler systems for that reason. They don't understand that they're not going to do that. Smoke is going to be the enemy to you, and that's what's going to cause the most problems. It's going to keep you from getting out. So be aware, have a plan, know to get down low. You know, unfortunately in Ohio, we haven't caught up yet with like they have out in Vegas. They have exit signs up high and they have them down low because of the MGM grand fire that was back in the 80s. People couldn't see the exit signs up at the ceiling level because that's where all the smoke goes. So now they put them down at the floor level. So when you're crawling on the floor, you can still find the exit. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was talking about exit signs too. I heard something too that there may be some talk on maybe the exit signs not be orange or red, it could be a, a green. So internationally, if you're looking at this, Europe's figured this out already. Green means go and red means stop. That's pretty universal. When we have folks from foreign countries come here, they see red. They may not be able to read that, but they know that they think red means stop. They don't think that means to go out. So most of Europe, the European countries all have green exit signs. We haven't caught up to that here in the States. There are a few individual states in the United States that have moved that direction. You'll see that come through, I think, in the next code cycle. The ICC is talking about it. So you're going to, I doubt that it's going to be one of the retroactive clauses, but anything new will be green from that point forward. If you're thinking about that in your business, it's not a mandatory thing, but be proactive. Put green exit signs in. It'll help you. So remember, the heat's going to get you. This is what I talked about, the 1,000 degrees, the 600 degrees. Stay down low. Get out. You will be disoriented from breathing in smoke and having a lack of oxygen. That will get you first. The carbon monoxide alone bonds to your hemoglobin in your blood twice as fast as oxygen does, and you will suffocate basically chemically because oxygen won't be able to be in your system. You'll start to lose your motor skills, your ability to think when you get in that environment. And that is our 1938 American with France. It's the original ladder truck for the city of Kent. Our union now owns it. We refurbished it. We received a grant for $12,000 to help pay for the painting. Um, it was in a barn in Manaway for a lot of years. The guy finally called us up. He goes, you guys want this thing back? We're like, yeah, sure. What do you want for it? He goes, ah, we just got to do a dollar, I think. He goes, called somebody and said we had to exchange a dollar. So we did. We had to have it flat bedded to the fire station. It didn't run. It had been in a flood. It was all muddy. Um, it took us a couple years to get the uh, all the mechanicals working on it. And then we were able to raise some money, and the guys chipped in a lot of money, and we got the paint job on it. And then uh, that's even missing some of the things now. We took old photos from when it was working at fires in Kent, and we saw the equipment on the side. It had a generator and some other things. And one of our guys has gone to different swap meets and different things and purchased the same stuff so it matches. But all the original ladders are on it. It has a 50-foot banger ladder. It takes six people to put it up. It has a steel cable, tormentor poles. Men were men <laughs> then, okay? Um, driving that truck, I've driven it in parades, and it is Armstrong steering, okay? And if you're not moving, you are standing up and cranking on that wheel to make it move. It is, it's hard to do. But it is a neat truck. It still runs and pumps, and it's fun to drive. And it does not have synchronized shifting. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you need to have the RPMs right for things to work, trust me. 
but it is fun to drive. It has a V12 in it, and it's, it's a neat motor. It purrs along. Do you have any questions for me? Okay, great. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbeam, or Stitcher. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn up to a 4% Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.wordpress.com. The preceding information is for entertainment purposes only. Views expressed may not reflect the views of any affiliated or sponsoring individuals or organizations. Listeners should carefully weigh information provided and seek advice from an appropriate professional before implementing. Listener discretion is advised.